Um, we've been in uh, Exodus 25. Well, it's kind of like 25 through, I don't know, 27. And then and then 28 through 31. Um, I don't really know how to how to divide up the, the, the last part of Exodus. I was looking at the rest of it. And the the whole last several chapters is is kind of like a repeat of the the chapters that we've been. Um, I mean, there's this there's a few things there, there's several things here in in and starting in thirty one, thirty two, thirty three, thirty four, thirty five, and then and then then the whole rest of the book is kind of a repeat of the instructions of how to build the tabernacle, except just that they're they're building it, and then at the end, Moses can't enter into it, and there's that that glory passage. But um, so we've been we've been talking about the, the tabernacle for like four weeks, and I was trying to decide whether I wanted to say some things. You know, when we get into Leviticus pretty soon, we're going to be talking almost entirely. That whole book is about, you know, as the name. Um, says it's about the Levites, it's about the priesthood, and we're going to be looking at the priesthood, and um, <clears throat> it's really, really an awesome, it's, how, it's like Leviticus is, I think, um, most people's, I mean, my, my kids read, I've been, my older kids have been reading through the Bible, and they get so bored in Leviticus, Ezra was just telling me the other night, it's just one sacrifice after another, and I was trying to explain to him that, you know, one of these days, hopefully, if he's seeing the Lord and some of those sacrifices, it'll be a little more exciting but um but it it is actually really really exciting uh to to see those things to see to to see and and to to experience some of those things in Christ everything's like that when it when it comes alive in you and the Lord and um so we'll be getting into that so I was trying to decide all that's just to say I was trying to decide whether I should say some things because the the next couple of chapters of Exodus talks about some of the garments of the priesthood it doesn't talk much about a little bit about some of the uh, ceremonies and things not much some of the burning of incense and some of the consecration of the of the priests and a lot about their uh garments and um you know the the breastplate and the shoulder plates and the the stones and all the different garments of the high priest and the, you know, all those things. And, um, so I, um, I was trying to decide whether I should kind of skip over the priesthood for now and just get into it in Leviticus or say some introductory remarks. And I thought I just, I kind of decided, I ended up deciding to just say, say a few things kind of as a way to lead up to just, just some general things about the priesthood as a way to lead into Exodus 32. So like 28, 29, 30, 31, I can't remember exactly, but that's mostly having to do with uh, the, the the priesthood. And, and all of these things that have been going on here that, that we've been talking about, whether it's the pattern of the tabernacle or the pattern of the priest uh, garments and all those things, all of this is coming to Moses while he's up on top of the mountain. And he, so he's, remember, he went up the mountain earlier, and he's been up there getting the pattern. And God several times references later, you know, do this according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. That, that's what's going on right now. And then, then he comes back down in 32. So 32 is where 
Moses comes back down the mountain with the two tablets, and he has the the two tablets are more or less representative of the entire thing, you know, all the law that he heard up on top of the mountain. But uh, he heard a lot more than just what was written on those two tablets. <clears throat> but he comes down and smashes them. So that's in thirty. The, the whole golden calf thing is in thirty-two. So I thought that it's kind of a long-winded introduction here. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I thought I'd say a few things about the the priesthood tonight, and then. Um, as a way of introducing what happens to Moses and Israel with the golden calf and the smashing of the tablets. So um so the 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 priesthood and I've talked about this in, in a bunch of other places too, but like I said, just to kind of in some some real basic summary type statements. The priesthood in my view is the is God's defining in pictures of what it means for a people to be in his son and to relate to him in his son. It's not, you know, it, 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 we think of the priesthood as a whole bunch of ceremonies and sometimes we even copy those ceremonies today without but the, but the and that's really sad because the only reason that God ever gave a single ceremony was as a testimony of a spiritual reality. There's no such thing as a natural ceremony today that has spiritual relevance. And, and I know that that kind of flushes a lot of what, what goes on on a regular basis in the church today, but it's nevertheless, it, it is true. The ceremonies were natural pictures of eternal coming spiritual realities that have now come in Christ. They didn't have any value other than the thing that they were pointing to. And we don't get that. And, 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 uh, I, we just don't get that. We actually, Christians today, love ceremonies we love them and and, and there's a real there's a real simple reason why we love ceremonies it, we love ceremonies because they make us feel spiritual even when we're completely carnal and natural and, and again i i know that i know that's i know i get i mean i know who i'm talking to you tonight so i'm not i think i do let me see here yep i do and uh and so i know i'm not offending, offending anyone that's hearing this but but that's that's what I know that churches are filled with all kinds of ceremonies and, and rules and liturgies and and uh, sacraments and the the fact of the matter is that all of these things that God established as ceremonies and rituals as as activities in what goes on here at the end of Exodus and and what goes on all throughout Leviticus God never ever cared about ceremonies. What he cared about was the thing to which these ceremonies were pointing, the spiritual eternal reality. He didn't ever, he says this in the prophets, he says this in Hebrews, he says this in various places. He never liked the blood of bulls and goats. It never accomplished anything. It just testified of the thing that did. He never was really that interested in an earthly temple or tabernacle, those things were pointing to spiritual realities. He never was satisfied with any of the offerings of, of uh, cereal or you know we, heave offerings or wave offerings. All those, all of those things are figurative. And the thing that makes them good 
is not what human beings did with their bodies or with natural things at natural times and natural ceremonies. The only thing that makes those ceremonies good is the one to whom they testify. The ones that they are, the, the one, the one of whom they are, are painting a picture. And, and we've talked about, I think we've talked about that in this class, the whole, the whole thing about pictures, you know, um, pictures are valuable to the measure that they represent something that you love that's no one gives you a picture of some random stranger and and you just hang it up on your wall that doesn't doesn't mean anything to you unless it's a picture of someone you love and especially a good picture of someone because if it's a bad picture of someone you love you know they're making a weird face or they have some pizza you know on their on their chin or something you don't hang that one up but if it's a if it's a good picture if it really represents the the person the substance the one you know the one you hug the one you have a relationship with well then you hang that one up on your wall and yet the the ink and the paper are not the thing you love at all or the frame or the glass you know that that's not that's not what you love you love the measure to which it represents what you do love, and that's. I want to say all that. I want to kind of scream that to people sometimes because Christians, again, Christians love to just get involved in doing stuff and feeling spiritual about it. When the only spiritual thing is Christ Himself, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, whatever, however you want to say it, it's God. God is Spirit, and uh, and He gives you His Spirit so that you can worship. Him in his own spirit. In the fulfillment, this is John 4, the lady at the well. Remember the whole thing. The, the fulfillment of what God had shown to the Jews. And, and, and it doesn't matter anymore where you go to, to do worship or what types and shadows you think you're following. That's what Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. The hour is coming and now is when it doesn't matter. Because why? Because God never was natural. He was spiritual. And and the hour has come where God is searching for worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth. So, a little little rant there about that. But if I I wouldn't do that if I didn't feel like uh, the church is just so confused about that. And and uh, and and we we get together. There's some there's some not just some. There's lots of uh, of, of people that get together on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever they get together, and the whole thing is rituals. The whole thing from the start to the, I mean the whole thing's on the bulletin. There's not a single non-bulletin item happening. You know, the entire thing is a programmed ritual. And people walk away feeling really spiritual for having done it and having dressed a certain way and having had to be real quiet and reverent around certain holy places and holy things and holy rituals and holy, you know, activities, actions and bowings and waters and smoke and whatever else you do, you know. So anyway, the, the the priesthood. What is it? It it's a natural picture of a spiritual relationship. That's really what it is. I I feel like I can I can say that with with a great degree of certainty in my heart. It it answers the question: How does God? see our relationship to himself in his son what are the elements involved in that relationship every aspect of that 
priesthood and the laws that are part of that priesthood because the laws correspond to the priesthood. They, they're laws about the priesthood. For the most part, there's some other ones, but most of the laws have to do with things like offerings and sacrifice and feasts and purification and all the things that involve the priesthood. And every single aspect of those those laws is describing whether it's what God God commands or it's what God forbids. If he commands it, it's because it's a it's a deliberate picture of Christ and our relationship to him in Christ. If he forbids it, it's because it has nothing to do with Christ and it's something that came out of the heart of man. So he's he's constantly uh, he's constantly declaring two things. It's always there's always two sides of the cross that he's declaring. He's declaring the, the side that is Christ and the side that isn't Christ. Always do this. Do it exactly this way because it's according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. Always do it this way because it looks like my son. Don't ever do it this way because that has nothing to do with my son. You know, and and the thing that makes the difference is again the measure to which it it paints that picture of Christ. And and so uh, he's forbidding things. And, and and we understand this much. It, it, with the natural mind, you can read through the Old Testament and see a bunch of do's and don'ts is what we always call But we don't understand that the do's are Christ and the don'ts are not Christ. That's what we don't understand. We don't understand that the, the things we are commanded to do, were com- they were commanded to do because of what they represented or because of the, the picture that they painted and the, the, the things that they were not, they commanded not to do. It's just because, not just because there's certain things that are bad, certain things that are good. There's certain things that are representative of Christ and everything else that, that isn't. And everything that came from man's own, um, uh, man, man's own ideas, man's own heart, man's own imagination, man's ideas about worship. And there's, and a lot of times that's really what's going on. It's not just, it, 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 when, when God opens up the ground and swallows people or sends down fire out of heaven, those, those aren't, Usually, the the idea, the things that are going on there are not usually just. It's it's not like um, I don't know. It's not like Aaron's two sons were just doing drugs in the tabernacle or something, or or, or fornication or something like that. They were they were doing their own ideas of worship. That's what they were doing when they got when they when the fire came down and consumed them. Remember that? Or the sons of Korah? You know, they weren't they weren't just sitting around and I don't know doing a Ouija board or something, you know, they, they, they were wanting to offer up incense to God when they weren't, when they weren't following the model that, you know, they thought that anyone could do it, not just Aaron and his sons. And, and the, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because imaginations were condemned, not just the ones that looked particularly wicked, but the ones that claimed to be serving the God who brought them out of Egypt. Now that's, I'm, I'm getting to, to the, to the golden cow here, but the golden calf, but that's exactly what they said that they were doing with the golden calf. The golden calf was, was, according to their understanding, a way of serving the God who brought them out of Egypt. It wasn't, they didn't, ditched that God in their understanding of God's understanding they absolutely did but in their understanding they didn't they didn't switch gods they just created in their own imagination who he was and began to serve their ideas which is again that is precisely what we do that is precisely what we do so if you want to think about the priesthood in you know at least to get your get your heart kind of aimed in the right idea if you just can think of Jesus, I don't know, this is 
corny, but it kind of came to my mind. You know, Jesus walks into t- your room and puts his back up against a big chalkboard, and and, and then you, you trace him. You trace Jesus with a big piece of chalk, and then he, he moves out of the way, and then you just start filling in all of these different aspects in that in within the boundaries of the line that you just traced around Jesus. You start filling in all the different offerings and sacrifices and, and feasts and purification, all these different things that are in the law and, and what, that's really what I, what I feel like the, the priesthood is. It's just all the things that are within the boundaries of Christ that are pictures of Him. They're all within that line. And anything outside of that line is outside of covenant. It's, it's gonna bring you into an experience of death because there's life only in Christ. And when they broke covenant, when they transgressed that line, they always met with death in one way or another. And when they stayed inside of that line, when they were abiding in Christ in, in pictures and shadows and types, then they always found the life and the blessing that uh, in natural pictures, of course, but but still, they found the life and the blessing that Christ is, and uh, <clears throat> and so there's a whole there's a whole lot of that that we're going to get into again, more specifically in, in Leviticus. But here here it's getting uh, introduced to us in the end of Exodus, and and so it's it's a description of Christ, the priesthood is, but more than that, it's a description of. Us, well, it's a description of us in Christ and Christ in us. It's a description of the relationship. It's the way, that's, that's what God is trying to do here. He has brought a people, Exodus 19.4, remember, he, he, he has brought a people out of Egypt, raised them up on eagles' wings, and brought them into himself. And he did that, he says, in Exodus 19.5, or maybe 6, to make them into a kingdom of priests. So, to to do that in order for for this people to be and to walk in what they really are he needs to teach them the relationship that he's given he needs to teach them who he is and how they relate to him in this covenant in this son Israel is my son even my firstborn he, they have to show them he has to show them that son in whom there is a relationship, in whom there is life. And so God, God immediately, um, does that in the wilderness. God does not immediately start to deal with them about a kingdom because the kingdom has to do with the increase, the glory, the victory. And if they would have right away been hearing from God about an increase, about a victory, about a, a glory, then it would have been the glorification of their ignorance. It would have been the increase of the wrong man. It, it would have been the, the kingdom of flesh. That That's not, first things first. If you're going to be a kingdom, you have to be a kingdom of priests. You have to be a kingdom, and the increase, the, the, the victory over the flesh of something uh, it, it has to be the, the the victory of the of the heavenly over the earthly, of the spiritual over the natural, of God's view over man's view, of of spirit over flesh, and so He begins to teach them uh, this relationship. What does it mean? What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And every every believer out there says that they have a relationship with God. And and that that's 
and, and and a lot of them will even talk about how it's so important to have a personal relationship with God. And 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 yet, and, and though though there is truth in that statement, if it's if it's rightly understood, it's not whatever you think a personal relationship with God means. Remember, God sent fire down on the two sons of Aaron who had their own ideas about how the relationship worked and the sons of Korah and whoever else. It's not what you think a relationship with God means. It's what God knows that relationship to be. The, 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 the relationship is defined. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is a defined relationship. It's not just however you feel like relating to God. Um, it's not just a private thing. It's a very specific thing. It's a very specific, God's view. You, you wouldn't. I, it's so perfect that anything that adds to it takes away from it. It's so defined that any idea that tries to get mixed in with it brings death. It's it, the mixture is corruption. Your greatest idea that if it if it doesn't if it isn't born in the light in the mind of God and shared with you by by His own light working in your heart, it's mixture. It's it's something wrong. And so we do have a we do have a relationship with God. It's true, and that relationship in 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 a, in a real sense is 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 personal in that Christ is the life of your own uh, personal soul if you're born again. But it's not the relationship that you it's not the thing that comes to your mind it's not the thing that you read in the bestseller i'm i'm pretty sure it's not that uh it's not the idea that makes you feel good about yourself and the flesh it's not that it's not all the different things that uh, that's i mean that, that's basically what the best sellers often say it's you know here it's really easy to please god you just have to do these five things or it's really easy to have god work for you you just have to pray in this way or it's really easy to have god bless and give you natural prosperity you just have to claim this and do that or you know it's not that it's it's uh, that's not it it's not anything that you can see or know until what does Jesus say? Nobody knows the Father except the Son. Nobody. Now, who is he talking to when he said this? Too, he's talking to Jews that have had his law for a long time and have studied it every day of their life. Many of them, you know. Nobody knows the Son except the Father, and those to whom the Father wills to reveal Him. Right. He says that in a bunch of different ways, you know. It is hidden from the wise and the learned, but revealed unto babes. It is, it, it, it comes down. See, it, it, your wisdom can't go up. Your wisdom is from below. Your wisdom about spiritual things, your wisdom by nature is, James says, natural, uh, sensual, and demonic, or natural, worldly, and demonic. There's another kind of wisdom that comes down from the Father of Lights. It's it's a it's a one-way arrow. It comes down. You can't go up and fetch it. It comes down into your heart by by his own will and desire to show you. 
and your willingness to to see it at the at the at the expense of your own imaginations and your own lies and <clears throat> so i say all that just just because uh i i as you know I, I talk to christians all the time and a lot of times when um a lot of times christians talk to me about their um you know they've had a really strong relationship with God for such and such a long period of time, and and maybe that's good. But a lot of, in some in some folks, but a lot of times I feel like their ideas about that really it, it becomes apparent after a few phone calls or, or, or a few emails that their ideas about that relationship are either going to get destroyed by the light if they let it or it, it's going to become a huge stumbling block for them and and they're and, and they're going to trip up and and not you know not um not really grow um and and, I, and that's that's a kind of a hard thing to to know how to you know it's hard to, to it's hard to tell somebody that this relationship that you think you have with God, though it exists in, in people who are genuinely born again, though it exists, you don't know it. And in fact, as long as you keep assuming that you do, and assuming that God accepts this and wants this and is telling you this and this is how it works and this is how he wants to relate to you and this is what he expects and this is how what pleases him and this is what he does to please you and this is how he shows you how much he loves you and this is how he gives you prosperity. You know, As long as you hold on to that stuff without letting him define it, you're, you're just – it's like you're, you're sitting there putting a brick wall up in front of your face and you're just making it thicker and thicker every day. And I know that no one sees that they're doing that, but that's just what we do. I know, I, I remember it so clearly. I remember, and, and I, I still, just to be totally honest with you, I know that I still do this in ways that I don't understand. And I, and I always have to, I always have to remember that and bring that to the Lord and ask Him to deal with me along those lines. But I remember the first time it struck me, I talk about this a lot, but I just, I just remember it because I remember where I was sitting. I remember what hit me and I remember the fear that rose up in my heart when I realized that uh, partly fear because I was, I was, I, I just started as like a new pastor of this church and I, and I was so shocked by, um, what I was seeing that I knew I had to kind of before, before in front of everybody in my church, like, um, start over is basically what I realized. I feel, I realized I had to start over from scratch and I was, I was afraid of that. I was afraid of being seen as, I was afraid of facing it in my own heart and being seen as a person, as a leader who had made up my own relationship with Christ and, and had been teaching it to other people. That, that's what freaked me out, to be honest with you. I, I, I saw it. I saw it so clearly that Christ was real and relating to him it was real. And yet everything that I had thought was part of that and done for that and tried to serve ways I tried to serve that and, and, and prayed about it and cried about it and gone to on mission trips for it and all the stuff. I was, it was all, it was all, I made it all up. And, 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 and the people that had like hired me to be their pastor liked my version of it. And that's why they hired me. And I, <laughs> and that's so weird to look, look at it that way. But, but that's totally what happened. I mean, that's a hundred percent what was going on. They liked my version of it. And so they gave me the job, you know, and, uh, 
and and I and I was realizing that my version of it was absolute garbage. It was so not true. And the little flashes of light that I had seen in that moment when I was realizing that were so they they weren't a ton of understanding, but it's just like you know a little bit of light in a on a dark night is enough to see. It's enough to see at least what isn't there. You know what I mean? Maybe you can't see all the details of what is there, but you can see that this thing that you said was there for the last ten years isn't really there. You know, and that's what I saw. And I just remember that man. I don't. I have a relationship that I don't understand. But but that's the thing about. That's the thing, and, and again, I'm trying to lead up to this whole golden calf thing because that's what happens. That's what they did. They, it, what you know, what's the big deal if you don't know, if you don't understand the relationship? Again, remember, the word covenant is a defined relationship. What happens if he's not the one defining the relationship in your heart? What if you're defining it? A whole lot of really bad things are gonna are gonna happen. It's it's not true. It's not substantial. It's not real. And and the light will show it to be that one day. And in the meantime, what you do is what you do in the name of that relationship is not accepted. Now, friends, I'm not trying to be like I'm not trying to scare you or anything. Um, we have a an amazingly merciful and kind and and patient and and perfect God, and who desires with all of his heart to give us the knowledge of the of of his Son, who to reveal his Son in us, to give us this kingdom of righteousness. But he will not let us define it. And in fact, yeah, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, right? We that's what we want to do. We want to. He won't let you make it be Ishmael when it's really Isaac. He won't. That's something he won't. He will pour out his own spirit into your heart to teach you. He'll he'll crucify his son, give you his spirit, and shine the light of that spirit in your heart to teach you. He'll do that. And that's amazingly kind and good, but he will not let you add or take away from his son. He won't let you do that. And 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 so there is picture, and I'm thinking ahead now to Leviticus because the stuff in Leviticus. Part of the reason people don't like to read it is because it's just you know a lot of it's about sacrifices and sores and stuff like that. But part of it is about it. it just God is so serious about his pattern of Christ. So much so that if they even, there's this one verse, I remember it struck me one time I was reading it. I think it's like in 17 or somewhere around there. It's so strict that if they even do the right sacrifice, but at the wrong place, if they don't bring it to the altar that's in front of the tabernacle that God has set in the midst of the camp, then he says that they're sacrificing it to demons. I mean, even the location, even if you have the three-year-old this and it's just the right that and it's unblemished and you don't even bring it to the right place, he says you're sacrificing to demons. Now that's and then he says you know cut cut them off from among from among my people forever. I mean and so he 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 cares a lot about Christ and about us relating to him in the truth of Christ and knowing the truth as it is in Christ. And though he will I mean to say that he went out of his way to give you Christ is such an understatement. He 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 didn't have to to 
to crucify his son, put you into that death, raise up his son, and offer him as your resurrection and your life, and then give his spirit to reveal the life that he gave you. He didn't have to do any of that. But having done that, he will not let your imaginations stand in his presence. He won't do it. He won't let your strange fire be what he accept. He will not accept it. He will not accept it. He will not. And what it is, is, is it, it's a false Christ. Okay? So that's what's going on here in this story. And now let's, let's maybe, uh, look at some of this. I don't know if I was tempted to read this whole story. You guys know this, this story is, is, uh, it's interesting. There's a number of things. I don't know if you've read Exodus Exodus 32 recently. Yeah, maybe I'll just just point out a few things from from this chapter, if I can do that without reading the whole thing here. That's um, so. So Moses it says. Now when the people saw that Moses, I'm right in the beginning here. I'll maybe just pick out a few verses. The people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool. He made a molded calf, and then they said, and then, he, then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And, and that Lord there is all caps, which means it's the word Jehovah. It's, it's, uh, whenever you see the, the, you probably know this, but just in case you don't, whenever you see the, um, the, the, the Lord, you know, God gave his name to Moses, I am, I am that I am, you know. And and the Hebrew kind of version of that is these four Hebrew letters. And and it's, it's sometimes pronounced Yahweh or sometimes Jehovah, depending on, you know, I, I, don't, I don't remember all the details about that. But basically, for some reason or another, in our modern translations, uh, they usually just write Lord with all caps. So when it says the Lord your God, it's really, it's really, you know, in Hebrew, it's like Yahweh our, your God or Jehovah your God. So anyway, he says, so Aaron just, uh, proclaims, a, you know, not, proclaims a feast, just decides that that's gonna, there's gonna be one tomorrow is a feast. And then they rose up on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So then, you know, Moses is up there and God says, that, you know, go down, the people have corrupted themselves. I like this, 38, 32, 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. Remember we did like four, uh, in ex- some, some time, not too long ago. It's in, been in this Exodus series. We've, we talked about the way, uh, for three or four weeks in a row. They've turned quickly aside out of the way. The way. What was the way? Well, the way is Christ. I am the way. He says, but it's, it's the revealing, it's Christ, it's the revealing of Christ, uh, as the way that God brings them into the, the, the 
yeah, you could say the promised land. You could say the the, the experience of their salvation. You can see the light. You could say the the way to to know and experience the life that He's given them. They have turned aside quickly and gone out of the way. And and then God says, in in nine. I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stick-nefed people. Therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make you a great na- nation. And, and a lot of this, and, and, and it goes on, and maybe I'll read some more more of that in a minute, but um, and a lot of that story, I think that, that Moses is kind of representing um, Christ, the one who kind of like, is up on the mountain with God and bringing down the word. And um, I, I think I, that's at least how I see it there. And God saying like, you know, I'm going to make out of you and another people, not this one. And um any rate, going back to the creation of idols, what is an idol? God, the first, you know, the first commandment, depending on how you divide it up, but the first, the, the first commandment is, is that, that, there that you, you know he's the only god god is the only god and that you're not to have any um any images or any pictorial representations of god based upon anything that you have seen you remember that from from we talked about that i think in the in the 10 commandments back in uh, a few a few a few chapters ago chapter 20 or whatever and the thing that makes something an idol isn't just that it's a a figurine or or uh, uh something made of wood or something made of gold or uh or the name of some false god um Dagon or Baal the thing that actually makes an idol is the the is the fact that it that the representation of God comes from the heart of man. That's the problem. Don't make it, you have seen no image. You have seen no form. Remember in Deuteronomy when God's talking to them, He says, "Be very careful, because when you heard the the voice speak to you, the Ten Commandments out of the burning fire in the mountain, He said, be, be careful, because remember you saw you heard a voice, but you saw no form.'" Therefore, he says it again in Deuteronomy like chapter 5, I think, do not make any form according to the things that you have seen, whether birds in the air or fish in the sea or stars in the heaven or any, and the thing that's, that's really, really wrong about that is it not, it, it's not necessarily just making an, a, an image. It's you thinking that you know something. It's, it's you putting, it's you worshiping your own idea. It's you elevating your own mind, your own understanding, your own thought. And whether you whether you put that into a physical image or whether you just put that into a theology in your mind or whether you put that into some kind of ceremony or whether you do nothing with it except just hold on to it as an idea. It's an idol when it's man's thought about God and not God's revelation of himself. And that's what is happening here. In the absence of something, you know, Moses is gone. Moses went up the mountain. It's It's been 40 days. And in the absence of something that they could see, or, or at least somebody that could tell them what to do or how to act, these people uh, set up their own God. 
And there's a, there's a bunch of interesting uh, things about the way that they set up this guide or the things that, that, that happens here. I, I know I'm running out of time here, so I'm, I'm going to try to make this kind of short. But the main thing, I think I already mentioned a couple times, is just that it's not – their desire was not to make a new, different god. That's not what they were doing. Their desire was to define – Jehovah, Yahweh, to define the God that brought them out. They knew God brought them out of Egypt. And no one could argue with that. They saw the whole Red Sea open, the ten plagues, the, all the Pharaoh's army drowned. There was, there was no, I don't think there was an unbeliever among them. That wasn't an issue. It wasn't like, ah, I don't know about this Yahweh God. Let's try, you know, Baal or let's try someone else. That wasn't an issue with this generation. They weren't trying to create another God. They were trying to define according to their understanding and worse than that, according to their desire. They were trying to define the God that was dealing with them. And that is almost always the case with Christians today. We don't say it's not Jesus. We say it's Jesus. We just create our own Jesus. We just make him according to our own image. We don't car we don't have to carve. I mean we do hang up all kinds of silly stuff in our church. A lot of times do people do Jesus is hanging here and there and this and that, but or icons or uh whatever people you know, the people still set up images in, in, in lots of places in, in the world. Maybe it's not as common. In the Catholic Church, I suppose it's more common than the, in the Protestant Church, but that's not even that doesn't even matter. Whether you have it hanging on your wall or not, you have it hanging in your heart. And, and if it came from you, if it's, if it's not God's direct revelation from His mind, by His Spirit, and His light to your heart... Then it has been created the other way around. It has come from your heart. It is a tower of Babel trying to reach up to the heavens, trying to make your name great, trying to give you uh, uh, a, a greatness that it does not come from God. And <clears throat> we never think it's a false God. Why don't we think it's a false God? We don't think it's a false God because it has the right title. It's the Lord. It's Yahweh. It's Jesus. It's the, it's the Trinity. It's the Holy Spirit. Whatever. It, we don't give it a new name. We give it a new definition. We give it a new identity. We give it, or, and, and we, and, and how easy has it been over the last 2,000 years to make the Bible support our ideas? It's not hard. It, it's, I mean, there's a few things you can't get away with, maybe. But there's a whole lot of things you can. I mean, it's how many different, I mean, literally thousands of, of, of different whole systematic theologies of understanding God himself and his purpose and his work through Jesus Christ. How many of those have existed with all of their verses and translations and arguments and exegesis and all that to support it? And so, Someone says, "No, no, I, I, I only believe in the in, in the Jesus of the Bible." No, you believe in the Jesus of the Bible according to your understanding of the Bible. See, that's that's not and and the Bible, the the words of God without the light of God is whatever you think it means. 
and it will be to you. See, you'll immediately, you'll start defining your own God, and then you will start making your own altar and declaring your own feast and bringing your own peace offerings and your own burnt. That's exactly what they did. They didn't just stop with the, with the, the creating of their own image. They changed the whole thing. They, they, they started setting up the ceremonies and setting up the altars and setting up the way that he worshiped and how he celebrated. And they were having a good old time too. It wasn't, they didn't set up a God and then just sit down and tremble before him and fear what, what, I wonder what he wants and what, if he's righteous or not. They know they were having a lot of fun. They went to, you know, they, Stayed up late partying and got up early to play, whatever that means. Some people think that's a reference to orgies and things. I don't really know for sure, but uh, whatever they were doing, uh, it, 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 it was, in their mind, an act of worship. And in God's mind, what did God say? Think about that. What, what did, how did, how did God respond to it? Did he say, you know what? At least their hearts are in it. They, they're just look at look at them. Some of them are crying. They're dancing. They're singing. There's a couple. Man, look look at them just falling on the ground. You know, he didn't see. He didn't say that. He, you know, he didn't say. Oh, at least they're calling calling it by my name. You know, they're honoring me by it. They're calling it by. You know, look at look at how devoted they are. They're just so. They're passionate people. Man, they're really. You know, he didn't say anything like that. He said. Let me alone so my wrath can burn hot against them and I can consume them like one man. I mean, that's what he said. That's a little different than what we think. Do you, do you see the difference? We see a bunch of people worshiping Jesus, worshiping a Jesus of their own idea and imagination and, and what, and sometimes, you know, they've got all these, they've got their own altar and their, and their own sacrifices and their peace offerings and their own way of singing and worshiping and dancing or whatever they do. Or maybe it's no singing and only dancing. Or maybe it's no dancing and no instruments, but it's all, you know, it's all these different ideas, all these different things. And we look at them and we say, man, they're so, man, they're so, Passionate, or they're so bad, their hearts are really in. Oh, good for them. Good for the, you know, look at them go, you know. Look, God, God loves variety. He likes a whole bunch of different ideas. He likes to, He gave you creativity to use it, to worship. You know, we say all this junk. And God's sitting there thinking, let me alone so I can consume them. I mean, and I'm not trying to say that He's, He's angry going around wanting to kill people. I am trying to say, though, that he has given you a very, very specific son in whom is a very specific relationship that that he wants to show you so that you can relate to him in spirit and in truth, not in natural ceremonies and imaginations. And man... That's, that's a really, you cannot read through the Old Testament or the New with any understanding and miss how important the way is that God gave them to relate to Him in. He gave them a very specific way. It's called Christ. And everyone is welcome in. This is the love of God, the kindness of God, the tender-hearted God of, uh, of our Father, or the Father of our, our how does he say that? God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is tender. He is good, abounding in loving kindness, showing mercy to thousands. Remember that thing? It's, we're going to get into that in, in, in chapter 34, where he describes himself. 
and he is so he he opens the door wide into his son and lets anyone in that wants to but when you're in your imaginations your ideas your versions of christianity your versions of worship they aren't just meaningless they are abominations they are they need to be you need to let him you you're you're obviously going to bring in some stuff in your unrenewed mind that doesn't belong but you need to let him cut those things away you've got to let him kill in you what is dead to him you've got to let him remove by his fire that which is not part of his son or well as we've said the or our relationship with God is an idol. It's a golden calf. And and it doesn't matter how many feast days we offer, you know, praises unto him and whatever that means to us. It doesn't matter how how pa- everybody is passionate. I mean, everybody's passionate about what they think is good for them. I mean, that doesn't define anything. That doesn't make anything right or wrong. Passion is just passion is it's just it's just human zeal and, and mostly for human pleasure in one way or another there's people that are passionately killing people today over you know in, in Iraq um, passionately you know with causes and 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 thoughts of piety it doesn't passion doesn't define anything God defines all things and he defines it within the boundaries of his son and and uh and if you don't see that sun, then what flows out of you is something very, very contrary to him. So I guess I'll stop with that.